Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to e-commerce conversations, a podcast by practical e-commerce. What's going on, Internet? Eric Banholtz here, back again with another e-commerce conversation. Hope all's going well on the other side of the Internet. I have on the other end of the microphone right here, a, uh, I'm going to call him a celebrity in the uh, e-commerce podcast space. He's got a podcast called My Wife Quit Her Job. Steve Chu, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Eric. I uh, grew up my beard just for this episode in honor of you. Oh, it looks amazing. So uh, there's stubble. Well, you can't see it, obviously, but I can hear the confidence in your voice, which <laughs> clearly from your facial follicles, man. Uh, there's definitely stubble, definitely stubble. Not quite yet ready for your products, I would say, but maybe in a little bit. Ah, yeah, you know, any day you're ready for our products. Come on, that's a layup. <laughs> that's a layup. Steve, uh, tell everyone who's never heard of you, which is probably no one, a little bit about you know not just your podcast, but also uh, your e-commerce business. Yeah, my wife and I, we started our e-commerce store selling handkerchiefs online, mainly because my wife, uh, she's a crier. She wanted a handkerchief for photos, couldn't find any, ended up finding this Chinese manufacturer, imported a bunch, used maybe six or so, sold the rest on eBay, and they sold like hotcakes. And then later on, when she became pregnant, you know how it is, Eric, you want to stay at home with the kids. So we got back in touch with that vendor and launched our store. And that was 13 years ago. It's been a long time. 13 years. So that would have been like 2007. 2007. How long has Beard Brand been around for? We launched 2013 was when our store launched. So five years after you. Yeah. But that was kind of like right when Shopify was getting up and running. You had like Magento back then. Maybe even OS Commerce was still around. Yahoo. Actually, uh, the big fully hosted platform was Yahoo at the time. Yeah. Were you a Yahoo guy then? No, I'm, I'm an open source guy because I'm an engineer. I want all the source code. Yeah. So did you go Magento? No, I went OS Commerce actually. Still on OS Commerce, believe it or not. Wait, you're still on OS Commerce? I am. It's not really OS Commerce anymore. It's it's Steve Commerce now. <laughs> so. How many headaches has that been? Uh, not too bad. I would say every five years or so, I have to do a major update. But outside of that, uh, I actually find it fun to add additional functionality to the store because most tools have an API now. And, you know, if I'm bored one afternoon, I'll just fire one up and add a new feature. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I never uh, had the technical abilities to roll up my sleeves and build stuff out. Do you have any concerns with like hackers and being an open source platform? I know. Yeah, you know, over the like in the very beginning, I did, but I have all these safeguards in place now. And to be honest with you, no one uses OS Commerce anymore. They're out trying to hack like WordPress, you know, or where they can get like a bigger bite out of the market. The moment you say that is the moment you get some guy that's like living in the past who's like, oh yeah, I remember OS Commerce. I'm sure there's some idiot who's still running that store. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's holes, you know, somewhere, but I mean, I just patch them as they come. Okay. So you're the one who's actually patching them. Like, is the platform even being supported anymore? I, you know what? That's a good question. Like at one point I actually went through like almost every line of code. I would love to switch at some point. It's just that, you know how it is. Like, I don't want to lose all my search traffic. Like I've had several friends who've switched to different platforms and just lost like half of their traffic. It's just too risky. Yeah. 
So what will be your plan for that? Like how will you, or you're just going to die with the ship? I guess it's your own website now, right? Like you said, Steve Commerce. It is, yeah. You know, at some point, I think there'll be something that will compel me to bite the bullet. Just hasn't gotten to that point yet. Yeah. What are you looking for? What is that compelling thing that you want? There is nothing right now, which is why I haven't switched. Yeah. You're yeah. fully content. and Yeah. I mean, things are good. Like I said, our, our business is like my wife has never wanted to grow it since a long time ago. And uh, I, I've had to prod her along to kind of grow it. So it, it's a seven figure store, but these days I kind of use it as a laboratory. So anything new that comes out, I'll try it on the store. And I basically write about it on the blog and report actual numbers because I'm fully transparent because it doesn't really matter to me. Like, I don't think anyone's going to knock off a handkerchief store anytime soon. I, although it has happened in the past, but no one has successfully knocked it off yet. Yeah. You know, like I wish I could say the same thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've, I've seen like the videos and stuff like on, people have knocked you off on YouTube. Dude, it's just nonstop for me. And I, you know, like I guess the, the people who are drawn to entrepreneurship maybe have facial hair and they can, are less likely to, to be handkerchief people. I mean, if you're writing about it, I would think there'd be a lot of, you know, kind of me too people out, out there. I think your market is a lot bigger than mine. I mean, you know, handkerchiefs outside of weddings. So we have wedding customers and they're probably the majority, but we do have like these older subset of customers that just collect them essentially. But the market isn't nearly as big as big as like beard products. So it's just kind of put in an autopilot, gives your wife and your kids some things to do. Do you have any other employees? We do. We have a warehouse. We have employees. I wouldn't say it's on autopilot because I'm constantly adding things, right? So this year is the year of SMS. So for like the past, I would say six months, I've been going pretty heavy on SMS stuff. The last couple of years, it was Facebook Messenger developing all these flows for giveaways, loyalty programs, and that sort of thing. So whenever there's a new technology or new thing that comes out, I try it. And what are you finding is getting you the most traction and working for you? SMS is amazing. Really? I think it's the next big thing. I don't, are you on it yet, Eric? We're a little bit on it. I want to say enough to brag about it. Tell me your strategy and how you're executing on it. Yeah. So uh, it's very basic at this point. So I have like these messages on my site where it says text a special word to a number and you get free stuff. Uh, I have a spin to win pop-up where you actually have to redeem the prize through SMS. Whenever someone places an order, they get on SMS. And then I just send you know, special offers out. I, I found like we do like a monthly flash sale. We do sales. Uh, we, we send out content and that sort of thing. What I like about it are the conversations. Like I've saved a lot of sales just through SMS. Like people have a question. They, it's just natural for them to reply back. Right. And then you can establish a conversation as opposed to just like an email where people really don't expect a response, you know, immediately. So do you, do you think like SMS has taken over email or your other channels or is it still just kind of... No, I wouldn't potential? say it's taken over. I don't have enough subscribers yet for it to take over, but I will say that a subscriber on SMS is probably worth, you know, five to eight X more than an email subscriber. How we've been doing it is uh, we've got the same thing. You text style to our phone number and we have, we purposefully have like a, a non 800 number so that we just kind of focus on US clients and customers and audience. And then we give style advice. Mm -hmm. So we're like, text us a selfie, send us a selfie. And we'll tell you like how to grow your beard, you know, how it's grown in, what beard styles will work on you. So we try to do a little more consultive type of style rather than just like promos and orders. 
Yeah, I think it's more about the conversations. So, you know, the first text they get when they place an order is, hey, if you have any problems with the order, if you want to check up on it, just text us and a human will respond, essentially. Yeah, I think because it is a new marketing channel, it's very intrusive, I feel like, to get like just pure marketing messages on text. I would tend to agree. Yeah, whenever we send out like a pure marketing message, the unsubscribe rate tends to be higher. I I don't know what your unsubscribe rate is like, but how often do you send a text? I don't think we're doing any kind of marketing on it at all. It's just purely consultation. Ah, interesting. Okay. The promos just work really well because the click-through rate is so much higher. Like I had a click-through rate of 19% on a text that I sent last week. That's just unheard of on email. For content-wise, I feel like people don't necessarily want, maybe it's just a store-by-store basis, but people don't necessarily want content like fed to them via SMS often, at least not yet. Yeah, what what we do is like, because we, we may not be able to respond to them immediately, we have like this PDF or this like quick little thing they can read for like a kind of general guidance to beard care and then we get back to them. Mm-hmm. So we have a little bit of content on there, but we don't really follow up. I'm a customer of Koyo, the shoe brand, and they're pretty active on SMS marketing. So it's always kind of interesting to see what they're doing and see what other people, how other people are using SMS. I've actually been struggling to kind of merge Facebook Messenger with SMS because they both do kind of the same thing, except Facebook owns one. But Messenger is a lot more versatile right now. Like you can do a lot more intricate things with messaging. So I'm still trying to like merge the two somehow. Are you doing like any kind of bots in terms of like quizzes? Oh, yeah, I have a lot of bots. So our whole loyalty program is implemented in a bot. How does that work? Is it just like a, a flow that you work them through then? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little more complex because there's source code on my site that, you know, because you have to check, double check the order before awarding loyalty points. But essentially everything is stored on ManyChat. Uh, someone places an order, there's a link in their receipt, they click on it, they get points redeemed, and then it's completely self-serve. Once they've reached a certain point threshold, they can just go shopping. And there's this like little mini store in ManyChat that I developed where if you have enough points you know, you can just get free stuff. And you can't do that stuff in SMS, at least not yet. And I wonder, like, are you pretty in tune with what's going on, like on Shopify, BigCommerce, or the other platforms? Or I am. I have to keep up to date. Do you know if these are kind of seamless or are they all, like, you don't have to pay fees on anything, right? Because you're just developing nope. it in-house. I try to avoid SaaS fees at all costs. So yeah, none of this stuff, I mean, ManyChat obviously has a monthly fee, but most of the things I do, like, if I feel like I can code it up in like a weekend, I'll just go ahead and do it. And what I've found, I can't say this in general, but there's some SaaS companies out there where the functionality they're offering, in my mind, isn't worth the effort. Like, it's not complicated enough. Like, email marketing and SMS, you know, I'll pay for those. But, like, little things like pop-ups or whatnot, you know, you can just usually code those up pretty quick. Yeah, we've got a, what is it, a out-of-stock notification form that we were going to try to implement onto our website just this past week. And... um we're not as technical as you are. So my guy's like, yeah, you know, it's going to take me hours. And then it's, you know, is it going to get higher priority than all the other things I got to work on? And, you know, it's like 10 bucks a month or something like that. So you're like, how many months would it take to pay off, you know, $50 an hour? So you're talking like 10 or 12 months that you can just roll a plug in. But my concern is always just like the site speed and having all this code that ends up on your website and it just kind of gets bloated over time. So being able to clean that out has been uh, kind of one of our top priorities. 
I kind of have the opposite philosophy. Like I can do a much better job making it fast myself. But every third-party plugin that has to ping their own server, that's like another point of failure. Oh, yeah. I once had a SaaS company go down, but then it brought down my site because their JavaScript code was blocking and it wouldn't let my site load. So, I think what you're doing is the best case scenario where you can build out anything and everything you can. The challenge just is that finding technical people if you're not technical. You know, like obviously uh, you've got that drive to want to learn it in-house, right? It's a, a joy for you, I assume, right? It is. So I used to be a microprocessor designer and then I quit my job. There's like this huge gap in my life on the technical side. So this is just kind of like a poor man's uh, way for me to kind of keep technical. What else are you doing, man? You got a YouTube channel? You followed my guides? You're up to a million subscribers now? Uh, I am at uh, 17,000, I think. Oh, yeah. Nice. I started getting serious about it six months ago, maybe. I just still don't know what I'm doing, so I can't really comment on it. In fact, I was going to have you look at it and give me suggestions. I know growing a beard is going to be one of them, but... I don't think I can do that. Talk me through it. I'm like, I'm always, I always love hearing like kind of like the entry level person of dipping their toes into YouTube because you've been doing it pretty regularly. What do you think is the wins or what do you think are the losses or what do you think are your holdups? Yeah. So the wins definitely are like, if I can get someone to watch my videos, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to have them as a customer at some point because people really want to see and hear you. So I, I sell a class and then I sell, I do a lot of affiliate marketing for the blog. This has nothing to do with the e-commerce store, just for the people listening out there. Here's what I found. So I've been blogging for what, 11 years now and podcasting for what, six years now. I found that most people remember me for the podcast because they can listen to me for an hour. And this is probably one of the reasons why you're doing this podcast. YouTube is very similar. I would say that the fans on YouTube probably aren't as in-depth as the podcast ones because YouTube video is only like 10 minutes or so. But being able to see and hear someone adds a tremendous amount of depth. So that's why I'm doing it. So that's the why. Yeah. The how is harder for me because... I, I live in a relatively small house. I don't really have a studio, but I finally got the flow down to a point where I can just flip on the camera, do my thing, throw it overboard to an editor and have something within a week. So I'm in a good place now. I wasn't in a good place several months ago. Yeah, so much of YouTube is building that that operational flow to, to be able to produce content. You know, it's like, how do you build the operational machine to produce content rather than just kind of winging it? I mean, I, I pulled up your channel while you're talking and I've got a few tips that I'll share with you real quick. Sweet. One, I would make your face bigger. You know, your face is only taken up like a- Is that wise, Derek? I mean- <laughs> <laughs> Not your head bigger. You don't want your head bigger. You just want your face bigger. <laughs> okay. Because people will really like uh, resonate and connect with faces. So um, try to do that. And then you've got too many, in my opinion, you've got too many words on your thumbnails. No one's reading that. And some of them, the thumbnail- words are the same as the title of the video oh yeah that's you're not supposed to do that no nah, because people can read the title you, you don't need to duplicate the title on your thumbnail what you need to do is you the, the title and the thumbnail are like a tag team of curiosity so like how do i get the title and the thumbnail to create enough curiosity to get someone to click on the video that's your goal so you know half of or, or like two-thirds of your video or your thumbnail is wasted by essentially having the exact same title as a title that's right there. Whereas huh. you could have some kind of like intriguing visual aspect on there. And what is that? You know, I don't know. That's where the creativity comes in. And that's where you kind of really have to start testing around. So those would be like immediately my first two recommendations. Okay. These are things that can be updated after the fact, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
You know what we do? We have like two or three thumbnails and titles ready to go when we post a video. And then within a first hour, we know what a typical video is going to do in terms of views. And if it's not hitting that in the first hour, we're going to try our backup thumbnail or video to see if that resonates better with our audience. So we'll be changing our title and thumbnail around that first, you know, three or four hours pretty regularly. So our goal is that every video that we post, YouTube has this cool feature where it's a top 10. We want to have it in top five or better. And if it's not top five or, or better, then we're going to try to figure out how to, to tweak it, make it better. You know, it's funny. I do the same thing, but I mess with the copy rather than the thumbnail just because it's easier. Did I get that from you? I must have gotten that from you when we talked. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, changing your title is fine too. We change our titles as well. So sometimes it's the title, sometimes it's the thumbnail. You know, sometimes you don't have a good backup thumbnail or backup idea. So you just got to work with it. But really like just how do you create that curiosity? What do they say? Why would someone buy the cow if you could have the milk for free? You don't want to give the answer away. On your title and thumbnail? You know what I found, Eric? Like there's there's some videos that I post that do really well because of the title, but then like they kind of trail off and no one watches them again. Whereas if I go for SEO, they usually start out crappy, but then they get traffic over time. So I've been a little bit torn on which strategy to go with. So I've just been kind of doing a mixture. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you produce enough content, like eventually you're going to have stuff that just kind of hits. So the SEO for us is more of like the YouTube algorithm recommending content. Like we just posted a video last week on a beard straighteners and it didn't really perform very well for us, but it got into Google search. So Google was recommending the video and we got tons of traffic from Google, which is very unusual for us, like hundreds of videos. We've never had that happen before. So there is opportunity to figure out what Google is showing. That might be interesting subject is like, what are the videos that Google is showing in their recommended feed when you search for certain terms? And then how do you create a video that will get people to click from there? Yeah. I've been doing a lot of like, just kind of analysis out there. I notice a lot of people like literally just rip off their exact titles and tag words and all that stuff. Like you'll see if, if I do a search, like everyone has the same title or they're doing reactions or whatnot. So still a learning curve for me. Yeah, I think, you know, there's good and bad from that. It's just like, you've got to find your own. What I like to recommend is like, take inspiration from people not in your space that are doing it well, and then try to bring that into your space. So that way you're not like just ripping off your direct competitors, but you're, you know, innovating really the marketplace. And I think there's like, People like Casey Neistat and Peter McKinnon, who are like filmmakers or video people, like they had astronomical growth because what they did is like they brought in, you know, filmmaking to vlogging, which before all the vlogging was just like these moms and kids and stuff like holding a camera. And they had like all this B-roll and audio and time-lapse stuff and cool transitions. And that was new to people. Whereas if they just did it on a video channel, you know, it's a dime a dozen. So that's where your opportunity is always going to be on YouTube, I think, is just trying to to find innovative things out there and then bring it to your your marketplace. So is is your like my wife quit her job stuff, is that a primary source of time for you? How do you split up your day between like content creation for uh, the educational side and the podcast side and running and building an e-commerce business? Yeah. So for e-com, it's basically one and a half to two days out of the week. And the rest is my wife quit her job. And the reason why we have this split is, uh, so I work with my wife on the e-commerce store, but she's not involved with my wife quit her job, even though her name is in the title. So for the e-commerce store, she does like operations and I just do the marketing stuff. 
And then my wife quit her job. It's a lot more time involved in just content creation. So every week I put out a blog post, a YouTube video, as well as a podcast. And then I have, you know, I run an annual event. I have to do outreach, meet people. You know, it's all about who you know and that sort of thing. So I spend a lot of time just chatting with people too. Yeah. So um, what I wanted to know is because you're in the loop, you're well connected. What are brands or people or, you know, like companies that are really doing e-commerce well? Besides Beard Brand, right? Yeah, besides you guys. I think every single company that I've had on the podcast that's doing well puts out some form of content. They're just not a store that just throws their products out there. So like you guys are YouTube, I would say, right? Is your primary. Other people like blogging might be their primary or social media might be their primary. I had someone on the podcast who just sells live like an infomercial and she makes millions of dollars every year. I just got to find your one thing and just do it really well. How's she doing that live? Is that through YouTube as well or is that? Facebook live. No way. Really? People watch it. She's got a gigantic group of people and she goes live every single day. What she does is she uses this program. The person has to register ahead of time, like with their payment information. And then once she goes live, they just type in the product and the quantity and it's instantly purchased. It's all through Facebook then? It's all through Facebook. Ah, interesting. And what kind of products is she moving? Is it just like, is she's a pure e-commerce person or does she develop her own products? She develops her own product. Isn't that the same thing? What is a pure e-commerce person? I would say like a pure e-commerce play is like, you know, this company, I buy from them and I resell it versus direct to consumer. Yeah, yeah, no, she's, she has her own private label okay. brands. So she sells clothing and other random accessories, actually. Some, some are really random. And then it'll just be like a deal and it's just kind of like QVC style home shopping network style, like get in on yeah. it while you can and then come back tomorrow. It's sold primarily through personality. Like they're just really good live. It's like QVC, but funnier. It's like a comedy show at the same time. That's pretty brilliant, huh? It's a lot of work. I mean, it's not like how I would want to sell, but it works. Yeah. What was that podcast that kind of took over the world for a while? It was like, it was just this hot podcast, like group quiz show. I don't think it was who wants to be a millionaire. It was like some independent well, that wasn't a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, th- I thought that was really intriguing, like how you could essentially do the same thing, like through live podcast or, you know, live YouTube or live video or, or whatever the, the medium is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity in that where people aren't currently tapping into that. And then you've got like all that social proof right there on the spot because everyone's like, oh, I just grabbed it. I just ordered it. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. It feeds the frenzy. And then, you know, you like got the countdown for your inventory. Oh man. I want to try that. That seems like a lot of fun. You guys could totally pull it off. I mean, it's not going to be my thing. So it just depends on your personality. Like I'd rather just huddle behind a computer and and try to get like bots to make all my (laughs) sales for me. (laughs) But yeah, for you guys, I mean, you guys started uh, the barbershop, right? Is that still going on? Yeah. yeah. We just launched your barbershop a few days ago and uh, we were talking about like how to get a live like barbershop feed like one day a week or something like that, where it's just, again, trying to build the personalities and, but like our customer, our audience, they're not like frenzied buyers. Like they're just like kind of laid back dudes. You know, Steve, you're not like, Oh my God, I got to get the newest grooming products. You're just like, okay, (laughs) when it's ready, it's ready. I'll I'll go get some. But so we don't have that same kind of like culture, I guess, of, of just like consumerism with our audience. I would imagine if I was watching someone get their haircut live and you just started holding up products, I'd be like, huh, I could probably use that beer oil or whatever it is that that they're using, right? Live. So how many people would be watching her live show at once? Well, there's always several hundred on, but I think there's been as high as like a thousand at the same time. 
actually, I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while. But a lot of people buy a lot of stuff. And, and a lot of times, it's just sight unseen. There's just sometimes they'll hold up, hey, I'm giving out this mystery pack of stuff. Like, you have no idea what's in it. And people will just buy it. It's like frenzied buyers. Well, you know what's cool about that is, like, I think a lot of early entrepreneurs get overwhelmed with what's required to have a successful business. And you're talking about having a seven-figure business with just a couple hundred people watching your live stream. Like, that's not a lot of people. And to be able to drive seven figures of business from that, it just shows the opportunity that's available to you in this world with the technology out there and how you might be able to leverage something that fits in with your personality or talent, whether it be the Steve style and just automate everything and build out bots or personality driven or video driven or writing driven. And that's so cool to hear. I can't wait to check that out, man. Thanks for sharing. You guys can totally pull it off. So the, the tool is called Comments Sold. If you guys want, I mean, you could just literally take orders. I I can't see a bunch of guys becoming frenzied buyers because it's not really a guy thing, you know? You never know. Like, I mean, like the sneakerheads, right? Those guys are buying sneakers left and right. That's true. That's true. But there's scarcity there, right? Like this is an exclusive pair. There's only five in existence. Well, you do the same thing, right? It's just like, how do you develop products? Because we have like limited edition fragrances. Oh, you do? We got a new comb. Our comb's about to sell out. So um, we've got a little bit of that uh, with our business. And, and we're, we're probably moving more of that direction in the future. So Ah, interesting. I got a question for you. When, when people have knocked you guys off, like, do you do anything about it or you just kind of proceed as normal? Yeah, I mean, we, we can't control our competitors, right? So outside of them stealing our trademarks or copyrights, we'll do takedowns for that. But other than that, you know, it's like we got to get better. We got to get better. We got to serve our customers better. And if we serve them better and we have a better product at at a fair price, nobody can beat us, right? If we got a better marketing strategy. So it's always about when you focus internally on how you can get better, then um, I don't know, it makes your company healthier in the long run. So you guys have been doing YouTube for a long time. And forgive me if I'm interviewing you now, but I'm just kind of curious what your big thing is for this year. We're just getting better at the things that we do well is kind of the, the thing we're trying to do. So the big thing for us is like video, video advertising on YouTube. We haven't really done that too well up to this point. I think there's a big opportunity for paid uh, YouTube video. And uh, we're dipping our toes into uh, a little bit of influencer marketing, but that's kind of not like a a big focus. The big thing for us is we've completed our product line. So uh, we're focusing on a value prop, which is ending scent confusion. So pretty much your shampoo, conditioner, body soap, beard oil, styling products can all be in the same fragrance from head to toe. And then you can have six different fragrance options for that. Nobody on the marketplace does that. So we really just want to hit hard on ending scent confusion and letting people know that if they want to tackle scent confusion, uh, which is when you you smell like a a cheap department store cologne aisle, you know, like your shampoo is one product and your your bar soap's another and your cologne's another. Everyone around you like, what? Scent confusion. So you guys are going vertical, essentially, on all your products. Get it? Essentially? Oh, I forgot who I'm talking to here. That was that was corny, dude. But yeah, where where can people find out more about you? You know, what, what's the YouTube channel? What's the Twitter? The blog? All that? How are they going to get a hold of? You? Yeah, I mean, it's all named the same thing because I don't want name confusion, <laughs> right? So, um, mywifequitterjob.com is the blog. It's the same name of the podcast, and it's the same name of the YouTube channel and uh, my store. If you guys want to check it out, like whenever I write about something, it, it's already implemented in the store, and that's over at bumblebeelinens.com. So you can check out the way I'm doing SMS if you want. Actually, don't because it costs for me to broadcast to you. But you know, if you're interested in it, I'm probably going to be writing a post, uh, just kind of gathering data at this point. But all the Facebook Messenger stuff is already up there. Sweet man. Well, thanks for being on the show. I hope our listeners uh, have gained a nugget or two from Mr. Steve. Thanks again for everything. Cheers. Bye.
keep on growing.